Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Tara Sumter has a very successful private pay-only private practice. She has clients begging to be seen in her clinic, SLPs who are dying to work for her, and a passion for teaching about cognitive processes and executive functioning, so much so that she wrote a book about it. So how did she do it? Let's find out. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. I get emails all the time from people who say things like, I want to build a private pay only private practice, but is private pay sustainable? Will people pay? How do you explain private pay to parents? As a business owner, you get to choose which payment sources you want to take, but you also get to make other decisions too. You get to decide if you have a private practice that provides more generalist or specialist services. You get to decide whether or not you stay small, maybe even just you, or hire people so that you can serve more clients. You get to make decisions about what you value as a clinician and a business owner and base your private practice around a mission versus just collecting a paycheck, which is where many SLPs have gotten to the point of when they are working in jobs that they no longer feel passionate about. When you meet Tara Sumter, you will see how having a private practice that is driven by a mission and a passion is a key ingredient to success. Tara is one of the most passionate people I know. Her excitement is contagious, and I hope that listening to her episode will get you fired up and ready to start a private practice that allows you to create a business that you are proud of, that brings steady and growing income, and that serves your clients, your community, and your therapists, but also serves you. Your business should serve others, but ultimately, it should serve you too. Otherwise, what's the point? As you listen to this episode, I want you to pay attention to things that Tara says that resonate with you, that make you think, 
wow, I want to run my practice that way. Things that make you think, if she can do it, I can do it too. With no further ado, here's Tara. Okay, so before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yes, I am Tara Sumter. I'm in Cleveland, Ohio, or outside of Cleveland, Ohio, on the west side, and my private practice is Seeds of Learning, LLC. So Tara, you and I have gotten to know each other via Instagram, right? Tell everybody Mm -hmm. what your Instagram handle is just so they can go ahead really quickly and follow you. Okay, it's Tara Sumter underscore SLP. Okay, so go follow Tara because she has so much knowledge and wisdom and she's sharing resources and opinions and all kinds of other stuff on her Instagram. But you also have this really successful private practice where you do private pay only, right? You don't take insurance. Mm -hmm. Nope, no insurance, private pay only. And so that's something that I think a lot of people want to know about. So before we get to talking about your current state of your private practice and everything, can you take us back to the beginning and what did your early career look like as an SLP? Okay, so I got into this a little bit differently. Um, My undergrad was in math and French. Um, I lived in France for a while and uh, I ended up getting my fifth year of school. I got certified to teach secondary um, education. I got out, I was like, I don't want to do this. So here I was a 20 something floundering, not sure what to do with my life. And um, I stumbled upon a learning processes research clinic and I worked for them for about five years and I loved it. So I was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure this out. So in my late twenties, I went back and became an SLP out of um, undergrad or I'm sorry, out of graduate school. I got a job working in a hospital setting and um, I Work. I was basically one of two SLPs that covered two full-time hospitals and three outpatient facilities. So I saw everything. They walked, it talked, barely breathed, barely talked, whatever. I saw it. Um, so it was an incredible learning experience. And that's one of the pieces of advice I, w- I always gave students was pick a job where you're going to have the most variety so you can figure out you know, what it is that you really enjoy doing. So I did that. I worked, um, I worked inpatient, outpatient for a couple of years. And then I was also at the time teaching anatomy and physiology of the speech and hearing mechanism at Cleveland State University, which I loved. And then about 10 years ago, after I'd had my second child, um, was when I started Seeds of Learning. And it just sort of happened. I wasn't really, I always knew I wanted to have my own private practice, but it really just, I had people coming that wanted to come before I went to the hospital and we work with their kids and afterwards. Um, So it just sort of grew. (laughs) And one day I thought, I'll quit the hospital because this is pretty awesome working for myself. (laughs) I I like being my own boss. Yeah. So, okay. So you started on like on the side of your hospital job. Mm -hmm. You were seeing people before work, after work, after probably in every available opportunity, but plus you had, had kids at home. So yes. And in fact, you know, you said that this kind of opportunities kind of fell into your lap, but what was it that really was also making you think, you know what, I think private practice is something worth pursuing versus just like staying with a hospital job. So I don't like listening to other people. I don't want other people to tell me what to do. <laughs> Let's just put it out there. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I, I don't really like to follow the rules and, um, you know, I like to carve my own path. You know, if I have to follow the rules, I do, but I really like making my own rules. It's pretty great being my own boss. And 
really where I was running into problems working at the hospital was that I felt like I couldn't treat my patients the way they needed to be treated. I felt like I couldn't really do the assessments that I needed to because insurance had me handcuffed. And then once I had, you know, then I couldn't treat the way I wanted to, or I couldn't see them as frequently because insurance had me handcuffed. And so um, I was just kind of tired of it. I was tired of feeling like I couldn't be the best SLP that I could be because of all these reasons, all these shackles that I had on me. And I was just kind of done with playing by everybody else's rules when they felt completely contrary to everything that I believed an SLP should be and have the autonomy to do, you know, as a therapist. So I quit. (laughs) At what point did you quit? Did you already have, you know, I don't know, like a caseload of, I don't know, five people or at what point were you like, okay, not only do I not want to follow the rules, but like I have enough financial stability to make this work. I really don't think I had very many clients, uh, private clients when I quit. I want to say I had two or three. Um, but I, again, my model, I've always believed that therapy has to be intensive. So just like I can't go to the gym one day a week, you know, for 30 minutes and expect to get six pack abs, you know, I don't go to the gym, but if I did go to the gym, so, you know, for <laughs> I can't do that 30 minutes a week and expect six pack abs. I can't change somebody's brain and how they process information, let alone their physiology, right? 30 minutes a week. So I was, I never liked this model. So I knew I was going to have an intensive model where I wanted to see children more frequently throughout the week. So even though I had two or three clients, I was seeing them multiple times a week. So it was giving me a little bit of a larger caseload. Okay. Perfect. I love that. I mean, I don't love that you were feeling stuck at the hospital, mind you, but I love that you described that feeling of feeling like stuck and like you weren't able to do your best work as an SLP, which is, you know, a career that, you know, you obviously love, right? So like to not be able to really do it the way that you thought was beneficial for your clients, let alone for you, right? Taking matters into your own hands and doing it. So, okay. So you quit your job. You've got mm-hmm. your handful of clients. What happened next? Mm, well, I had little kids at home, so I was extremely sleep deprived. So I really don't remember any of that part of my life. Now, um, you know, it all just continued. to It snowballed. Um, I mean, I'm 10 years into this and I've never once done any marketing at all. And, you know, I'm opening a second location here in the spring. Um, Yeah. Um, So, so yeah, it's all been, you know, for the most part, it's all been word of mouth um, in terms of how I've grown. So it really just slowly, slowly grew and progressed. I, I don't know that there was any real magic to how that happened other than that it just kind of snowballed on its own. I think what has helped me is that I have a real niche area. We primarily do executive functioning work along with literacy, but we have a, an integrated therapy that we do that actually I've created and in the process of getting it written up um, for everybody. But um, the executive functioning piece is really huge. And I've created a four-step therapy approach to that that's been extremely successful. So we have families that drive, you know, over an hour one way, multiple times a week to bring their kids to us. So I think having that niche has really helped for sure grow the practice, you know, organically in that way. Totally. Because when, when you can become known for something, right. When you become the go-to person in your community or in your case, like 
every community near you, right? Then, you know, you become known for that like one thing, right? So, I mean, there's multiple ways to do this and people can decide, do you want to have a generalist practice or do you want to be more specialized? And it sounds like the specialized route has gone really well for you. It has. It's been really beneficial. But I think at the same at the same time, when I first started Seeds of Learning, I wasn't, you know, an executive functioning specialist. That just sort of progressed on its own because I saw the need for it within my clients. And so um, it was just year after year of growth. I think we start somewhere and we don't quite know where that path is going to end, but we just start the path and, and we're going to take one step and then the next step and it's going to lead us to where we're, we're supposed to be headed. Um, but I certainly was a very, very much a generalist when I started. I did have quite a bit of experience in literacy, which I think that helped me when I first started. I was getting, you know, literacy with speech uh, disordered kiddos, and that was, you know, pumping up my practice at the beginning in terms of a niche. But the executive functioning piece, I mean, that grew over years of just specializing. Yeah, I love it. You have to start somewhere, right? That's right. We have to start somewhere. Well, and I like how you said about being open to where the path takes you, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's important. So one of the things yeah. that we talked about earlier that now might be a good time to to touch on a little bit is the fact that you don't accept insurance for your private mm-hmm. practice. I think that there's probably a lot of people who are listening who are very curious about, you know, how that model works, you know, how are you able to get enough clients to sustain your practice? What do you maybe say to people who are like, "Oh, I can't I can't afford private pay. So could you talk a little bit about what, what it's like to run a private pay only practice? Okay. So running a private pay only. So there's several, well, there's one main reason why I chose to not accept insurance. And that is because I didn't want the handcuffs. Like I mentioned before, I didn't want the handcuffs of a third party telling me the therapist, how to be a therapist right? These people at the insurance companies making these decisions don't know what it means or how to be an SLP. So why on earth are they dictating my job and telling me how many times a week I can see my patients, what kind of therapy I can do? It's just nonsense. So I was not willing to accept those kinds of shackles in my practice. So for me, every decision I've made with my practice has been based on quality of care. Quality of care has to be number one, that I can provide the absolute best quality of care. So for me, that meant having the autonomy as a therapist to, again, provide or to you know assess the way that I want to assess kids, um, to not be locked in. I do a three plus hour assessment, cognitive-based assessment, right? I don't know any other SLPs who do that extensive of an assessment, but I've put it together, created it and priced it. Right. And if families want to come and get it, they get it. I'm not, I don't have to wrestle with an insurance company to try to get this three hour assessment covered. Um, So I can really assess and do extremely deep cognitive testing on these kiddos um, to figure out where their processing breakdowns and weaknesses are. So I can provide really great therapy. The other issue is obviously the treatment So I can provide exactly the kind of treatment that that child needs, regardless of whether or not the diagnostic code is accepted by the insurance company or not. And I know, you know, everyone plays games with this to try to, you know, get stuff covered. And I just wasn't willing to do that. You know, 
Executive functioning therapy oftentimes gets really poor coverage by insurance companies as well as literacy. And um, those were two of my big specialty areas. So I just wasn't willing willing to play those games and, and you know not get it covered. I think something else that's really key is that our families who are paying out of pocket are extremely dedicated. So they are really, really dedicated to their child's care. And so we see very few cancellations, right? We see next to no no-shows because we charge for those. And there's incredible follow-through, right? So when we're asking families to try to implement certain strategies or plans or whatever at home, we get really great carryover and really great follow-through from the families because they're invested, right? They're actually invested in their child's care. And um, I think that's huge because I know what it looks like when families aren't invested. I've done that therapy before. So we see massive change. We see, we see massive, massive growth with our kids. Um, and it's amazing. I've had families say, you know, that paying for us a lot of times a session would be the same as a copay for them. I've always worked really hard to keep our rates as low as possible. Um, we are on the low end of average. I just had a mom call me today and she's like, oh, you're the lowest who's quoted us. Even though I'm the specialist in this area, <laughs> you know, literally writing the book on the therapy and the cognitive processing model, we are still the lowest. And I do that on purpose because I want to provide the best care. I want to be able to see the kids two or three times a week. And so that is always every decision I make that's the number one focus for me goal is that we can provide the best care for what these kids need. So I've always tried to keep, keep the cost low. And so families as low as I can. Right. You said a really important word, which is about that the families are invested, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, they're, they're invested, meaning like that, you know, their heart is in it. They're, you know, they're going to pay attention. They're going to do the carryover, but there's also when, when someone is financially invested in something, you know, psychologically, it's like, they want to make sure that they're getting that bang for their buck. Right. And that they really are invested like, you know, financially too. There was another guest on um, an earlier episode named Amanda Townsend. She is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And she hmm. also, I think, I think now she may actually accept insurance, but at the time she didn't. And so listeners go back and listen also to Amanda Townsend's episode, because she also talked about being a private pay practice and how she explained that to parents. And she also used the word investment as part of it, which is what made me think of that. Yeah. And you had brought up something to the issue of like, is it sustainable? You know, is a private practice sustainable at private with private pay? And I'm here to say I'm 10 years in and we are always packed. I mean, my own child, my youngest comes here for therapy and I can only get her in once a week. I can't get her in anymore. I mean, we're, we're so full that I'm opening a second office. So you know, is it sustainable? A hundred percent, it is sustainable. And I think it's even more sustainable in the sense that I'm not waiting for a third party to pay me, right? So I'm getting paid immediately and I'm not waiting 90 days and rolling the dice on how much an insurance company is possibly going to pay me. I know every week what my bottom line is going to look like, I don't have to worry about payroll for my therapists. I, you know, so it's definitely from a business standpoint, right? Much more sustainable. There are no question marks in terms of the financials. So I think that's really important. And, and also worrying if something might like, you know, get denied, right? Maybe you do a bunch of sessions that they said that they were going to cover and then they don't. And so, yeah, I mean, there's 
certainly pros and cons to each model. And so I, I really sure. want you to figure out, you know, what is the model that works best for you, for, you know, your community, for your comfort level, whatever it is. But listen to what Tara is saying, where you can provide really high quality care and still charge a fair price, private mm-hmm. pay, but not like charge an, an exorbitant price. I mean, that, that's what she's doing, right? You you could certainly also charge a high price, right? That's what other people do, right? You You just have to decide what your comfort level is in this whole thing. And I think it's when you're talking about charging a higher price, if I took insurance, I would have to charge a higher price because I would have to negotiate down with the insurance companies. So what does that do for a family who has a really high deductible, right? They're going to be paying even more. They're going to be paying a really high price for the therapy until they reach their deductible, which, you know, Lord knows how far into therapy that's going to be. So, you know, there's definitely pros and cons to both. But a lot of times people think that, you know, going the insurance route is more financially beneficial. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it's not. So, yeah, you definitely have to weigh weigh the pros and cons to both of those. Do you need more clients for your private practice, but aren't sure how to get them? Why not follow step-by-step marketing plans specifically created for SLPs and private practice? And for a limited time only, I'm offering four amazing marketing resources for one low price. Just head over to privatepracticemarketingbundle.com to learn cost-effective marketing strategies that work. What I want to talk about next has to do with uh, your team, right? So can you share a little bit about growing your team and and what that kind of looked like in the early days as far as maybe who some of your first hires were and then who is a member of your team now? Okay. So I have absolutely the best team. (laughs) I'll just put that out there. I have the best therapist. My therapist, well, three of the four were all students of mine. I taught when I taught anatomy and physiology. So I knew them very well. I have chosen to grow seeds of learning completely organically based around the therapist. So um, my first hire, Emma Tuletta, who's phenomenal, she came to me and said, uh, I want to work for you. I want to do this. I want to work for you. And I said, oh, oh okay, great. Let's, <laughs> let's figure this out. Let's do it. And so we opened an office. And I built an office around her and then another, and because she is, was that, is that fantastic, totally worth grabbing her, creating an office around her. Then another therapist, um, student who I had had came and said, I want to be part of, you know, I want to be part of this too. Also phenomenal. I said, great. I don't know if I have a caseload for you, but we'll figure it out because you're hundred percent worth it. My third hire, Debbie, or my second one was Hannah. I should mention Hannah, Hannah Lehef. And then Debbie Heideloff was my third hire. She was my only cold hire. And she was like a godsend sent to us. She was so phenomenal. And then we're now expanding Seeds of Learning to an office in Independence. Um, opening a second office there. And that one is all because another fantastic student that I had came and said, I really, really, this would be my dream come true to come work for you and to come work at Seeds of Learning. And she lives over an hour away from my office here in Lakewood. So I said, okay, let's split the difference. Independence is a great area. And so I'm expanding because of her. And again, it goes back to my number one goal with my practice is that we provide the absolute best care. And so for me to provide the best care at Seeds of Learning, um, I have to have the best therapist. 
I have to have the absolute best therapist. So when the best therapist walks across my path, I'm going to snag them and I'm going to figure out a way to make a job for them. And I'm going to love them so hard and treat them so well that they never want to leave. <laughs> so I love that so much. Something that you said before we started recording was you were talking about um, the collaboration time and having mm. schedule for that. Can you, can you tell the listeners what, what does that mean? The collaboration time? So I pay my therapist an hour a week for collaboration time. And the reason I do this is because I think it's so important or I value continuing education and collaboration as a team so much that I wanted them to know how much I uh, value that, that I pay them for it. Um, and so what that means is that, you know, they call me on cases all the time. We They call each other on cases. We're always bouncing ideas off of each other. And they're not afraid to reach out or feel like they're, quote unquote, bothering me, you know, or they know they don't. We're, we're always texting constantly. Um, <laughs> we're like a very dysfunctional family who functions very well, but we never leave each other alone. It's really a beautiful little family that we are. But they're not afraid to reach out and to ask for help or ask for um, advice uh, on cases and ask each other just because they they know that I value that time so much. So I'm putting my money, you know, the office's money into, again, what I find to be the most important thing, which is quality of care. And so that means that we all have to keep learning and collaborating and helping our clients as a team, not just as individual therapists. I love that. And that is a culture that you have developed as the owner of your private practice, right? That's one of the really cool things that you get to do when you start hiring people mm-hmm. is, is really thinking about like, what kind of a company culture do you want? And where are your core values as either, you know, a clinician, as a person, as a, you know, whatever. And so kudos to you, Tara, for figuring out, you know, what are your core values and then hiring people or like letting them join your team or whatever, when they kind of come to you because they're embodying Mm -hmm. what it is that you love. Yeah. I, I believe, I don't believe we force, we should force anything. I just feel that about life. I don't feel like we should force decisions. I don't feel like, I don't beg for families to come to us. If we're not the right fit for you, you can, there are plenty of other therapists who will be the right fit for you. I've never had that problem. I mean, people are banging down our door, but um, I don't, I'm not going to fight for someone to stay and I'm not going to fight to make something fit. It should fit right? Like the decision that I make within my practice, the therapist should fit the ther- you know, the families, it, it should, I just feel like it should all fit and it should be organic. Otherwise, you know, I'm trying to pound a round peg into a square hole all the time and I'm going to be miserable, you know, within my job. And so far we're doing a great job because we all love each other. And literally we walk out the door at night and everyone's like, love you, love you. Good night. Have a good night. I mean, seriously, like that's how we end the night when everybody walks out. Bye. Love you. Like, I mean, it's, it's sappy and obnoxious, but it's what we have here. Beautiful, right. It speaks to what you've developed and and that's, you know, I mean, that's not for everybody and that's great, right? Other people, Mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, I think, you know, listeners, how often do you, do you leave work and you just can't (laughs) wait to get home or, you know, or to have even someone acknowledge you on your way out, right? Or, you know, just to to feel like you're part of a community of people who is excited to talk about cases and actually that you have, you know, time set out and pay 
set out to make sure that that is something that you are getting and doing, right? Like that's, you know, paying for, I think you mentioned earlier too, like paying for, you know, time, like report writing time and all those kind of things. Yeah. You want your therapist to do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. The consultation time. So a big part of what we do is consultation with other professionals in the lives of our clients. So, you know, teachers, intervention specialists, occupational therapists, um, psychiatrists, psychologists, all the people involved in the team of our students, we collaborate with all of them. So, you know, email time and phone call time. And um, I do Zoom, you know, I'll get on Zoom with the intervention specialist. Okay, here's what we're doing. Let's, how do we get this into the classroom? You know, how to, and, and so all of that time I'm paying my therapist for, I tell them, keep track of your consultation time. If you've had phone calls this week or your report writing time, which again, we don't have to, you know, we don't, we don't have to follow these sort same rigid rules with paperwork that other places have to follow, which is a beautiful thing, right? We take data and document every single session, but it isn't like massive amounts of IEP writing. And, you know, we don't have to do that. It's really nice. <laughs> but when we do, which we do, we still, you know, there's, our evaluations are intense. I mean, those are like 11 pages long usually. So that takes a lot of time, the evaluation reports. But all that time they get paid for. Well, again, it sounds like you've created a business that you would want, that you want to be a part of. I mean, you, you created that these are your decisions, but that you literally have clinicians, you know, not only do you have clients banging down your door wanting to work for you, but you have therapists who are also (laughs) banging on your door wanting to work for you, right? Like that's, that's amazing. I got the best email over Christmas, actually, from a therapist who was, it was the most ballsy email. And she's just like, I want to come work for you. I want to work for you. And so we had a Zoom meeting about, I don't know how, a few weeks ago. She's phenomenal. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, hold on. (laughs) I got to get this second office up and running. But, you know, it's been great. I love it. So you've created this business that serves your clients well and solves your, you know, your, uh, your clinicians very well. What has having a private practice done for your life? Would you say, as opposed to like your, you know, if you had stuck with that track of working at the hospital, how has your life been different as a result of the, of changing your path? So, I mean, I could, I could obviously speak to the logistics of my life and say that, you know, it's more flexible and I can, you know, try to work it around my life. And those are wonderful things. But at the end of the day, it is so incredibly fulfilling. That is the biggest, the number one, oh, biggest, you know, just factor in, I love my job. I love my private practice. I love my therapists. I love our families that are here and our clients that we work with. It is so incredibly fulfilling. And yeah, when I worked at the hospital, I mean, I was ready to go. I was like, all right, let's clock out. Time to get home. But this environment where I really feel like I can be the best at my job, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than feeling like you're really making a difference and really being the best that you can be. That sounds so cliche. I'm really sorry. <laughs> but but, that, but that's what you want, you right? Can be. <laughs> yeah. Don't we all want to be able to be our best? Yeah. 
Yeah. Right? And that's how I feel every, yeah, every day that I leave, it's just, I can do what I need to do for my clients and, um, be the best at it. Cause I have nobody telling me that I can't no third party, no boss, you know, that's right. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Um, oh, tell everybody thanks. about your book. Oh, Lord have mercy. This has been the most awful process of my life. <laughs> I've hated every single second, my poor editor. So I've told her three times I was going to throw my computer in the fire. And she's like, don't do it. Okay. So it's been awful, but I've, I'm doing it literally for all of the SLPs out there because um, I've been presenting on my cognitive processing model and my executive functioning therapy for quite a few years now. And um, at every presentation, the SLPs would ask me like, do you have a book? Do you have a book? Please write a book. Please write a book. So I'm doing this for you because you SLPs you guys are amazing. And this is for you and know that every blood, sweat, tear, everything has <laughs> been in this book. The first one um, that's going to be coming out pretty soon, I'm hoping within the next month, is called The Seeds of Learning. It's a cognitive processing model for speech, language, literacy, and executive functioning. So it is my cognitive processing model, how all of cognition integrates and works together for the purposes of learning. Um, this book is going to show how all of those pieces, those cognitive pieces integrate and work together, and then really focus on assessment. So how do we, with that model, figure out where the breakdowns are occurring? And then I do have a little bit in there on therapy, but I can't do, I couldn't do it all in one book. So the first book is the cognitive processing model. And then the second book, which I have an outline for already, is going to be the executive functioning therapy. So that's what everybody's asking for. And I promise it's coming as fast as I can get it out there. Um, but that'll be the second book. I'll write as fast as I can I when I'm not it. at work. <laughs> so where, so the first book should be out soon. And maybe by the time this actually airs, it might actually be out. What is the best oh, yeah. way for people to get the hand, their hands on the book? It'll be on Amazon. Yeah. So Amazon for sure. That'll be the, the best way to get it. Perfect. Okay. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that the listeners know either about your private practice journey, mistakes that you've made and learned from, you know, what, you know, people who are listening are both at the very beginning of stages of thinking about starting a private practice, as well as we have people who with established private practices who are just curious how other folks are doing it. Yeah. I don't know that I have a whole lot of advice other than there's no such thing as a bad mistake. So any mistake that you could make in your private practice is going to teach you something. It's going to help you realign your values for your business. And it's going to set you further along whatever path you're supposed to be on with your business or your career or whatever. So I think a lot of people feel held hostage by fear because they're afraid uh, to get started. They're afraid of making mistakes. And um, I would just say that there's really no such thing as a bad mistake. It's just lots of learning opportunities. And so I don't know if I have any, I'm sure I've made a million mistakes along the way. I've always tried to go with my gut, right? Um, listen to my intuition and um, not force anything. Just let it feel right. If the decision feels right, if the people feel right, I want my private practice to feel like home. 
I wanted to feel cozy and warm and like a safe place because if we have that energy here, then our clients feel that energy. You know, I work with a ton of high schoolers. Some of my other therapists have the younger kiddos, but I do a lot of the older kids and I can't get them out of my office. Like they come in and the hour timer goes off after therapy's done. And they're like, all right, well, Miss Tara, what are we going to do next? I'm like, you're getting out of my office. Like it's time for you to go, you know, and they just want to stay and hang out because we have this cozy, warm, inviting family environment here. And, you know, it's because we didn't force anything. I think you just have to go with what feels right. I love it. I don't know. That was probably a really dumb answer, but. No, it was a great answer, right? Because and it also, I think, you know, kind of puts like a little cherry on top of what you've been saying all along, which is to, to build something that you're proud of and to build something that really puts the clients first. And part mm-hmm. of putting the clients first, you know, not only is, you know, having a model that makes sense, right? Having cognitive model and executive functioning skills and whatnot, you know, that makes sense. Having a team that can really support those clients. And then just having a a whole business that's functioning so much so that you have a wait list, you've got people banging down your door in terms of clients and therapists who want to work for you, and you're opening another location. So you have totally done what I think a lot of us, you know, aspire to do, which is created a business and a life that you are proud of. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. I don't know how it happened. (laughs) I feel like I walked ass backwards into this. Well, you did, you did something right along those, right? You didn't make any, you made some mistakes, but you, but no mistakes were too big or whatever you, you know, said earlier, but Tara, can you make sure that people know where to find you? Can you share, you know, your website or social media or whatever links would be helpful for our listeners? Yeah. The best place to find me is on Instagram. Um, cause that's where I'm the most active. So there, you know, Tara Sumter, uh, underscore SLP. My website for Seeds of Learning is uh, www.seedsoflearningllc.com. So people can check out there. That's where I have information about the private practice. Um, I also have information on professional development that I do there. So people can see um, the types of professional development that I do for, gosh, everything from hospitals to school districts to private practices. I mean, all all over OTs, PTs, school psychologists. I mean, I've presented to a lot of different organizations. Um, So all of that information is on my Seeds of Learning LLC uh, website. And on there, you can find my email too. So people can feel free to reach out and email. Uh, A lot of people find me through Instagram and connect that way with questions, um, you know, professional questions. But I'm trying to get the executive functioning info out to everybody. I know everybody's anxious, anxiously awaiting. So it's an important part of what we do. That's not quite very well understood yet. So I'm doing my best to change it. It's coming. It's coming. Well, and yet is the operative word. So Tara's book will be available on Amazon. Hopefully it already is available by the time this recording goes out. So go check it out. But in the meantime, follow her on Instagram and really, you know, re-listen to this episode because she dropped a lot of gold nuggets about how to really design a private practice again, that works for you, works for your community and is something that you can be very proud of. So thanks again, Tara, for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. So isn't Tara amazing? I hope that you enjoyed her energy, her passion, her willingness to share her model and how it works for her. 
and that you can take away some tidbits from this and start to figure out what aspects can work for you too. If you're all jazzed up and ready to start a private practice that is in line with your passions and you want to focus on providing high quality care to people in your community who need you and will gladly pay for your services, I want to invite you to my free training where I outline the steps of how to start a private practice. And yes, I do discuss payment models during the training. So head over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar and watch the free training, which lasts about an hour and will teach you the ins and outs of private practice. I hope to see you there. I also hope to see you next week for another episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Until then, go out there and help more people and don't forget to help yourself too. Talk soon. Have been toying with the idea of starting a private practice for some time now. So even being a full-time working mom, it was really nice to have a system that was all set up for me. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. And I was able to land a client within about the first week and a half of me going public with my private practice. So now I have 12 clients. It is such an invigorating and amazing experience. If you want help to start your speech therapy private practice, then head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist so that you will be notified as soon as we reopen the doors to the Start Your Private Practice system. Again, that's startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist. I cannot wait to help you start your private practice. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independent clinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.